0: a lot of people sign a golf at the million dollar price range and how expensive it is in in the Bay area. But for me, that meant larger profit margin. That means a bigger buffer. So if I messed up really, really bad, I had a much bigger buffer of not making money or making a smaller profit as opposed to being in a smaller market like San Diego, where your profit margins, 50, $20,000. And I'm sure as many new and experienced investors know, that goes really quick.
1: This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Sheila Wong, She lives in San Diego, but flips homes here in the Bay Area. She'll share her methods of how to run a smooth operation from afar and how she used mentors to leverage connections to become a successful investor and be able to live the life she wants with her daughter. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes with the full transcription on our site, EverythingREI.com. Enjoy! Thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and how you got into real estate investing.
0: Thank you, Sean, for having me on your show. I'm honored to be on your show. Uh, my name is Sheila Wong, and I got into investing about six years ago, full time, being uh, opening my own business and doing this. Um, and the catalyst behind that was I had I was pregnant, I had my daughter, and I didn't want to do the nine to five. And so I really wanted to start my own business, have the flexibility of hours and to be there for her whenever I needed to be or wanted to be in that capacity and still make income.
1: So why did you decide to do real estate investing and more specifically, why flipping?
0: So ironically, my um, ex-husband at the time was driving in the car and he had heard, heard uh, an advertisement for come to our seminar you can get rich quick, no money down. Uh, and my background is architecture. So he had told me about it and I was starting my own business. And at that point, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, you know, and he obviously knew what I, um, my background was. So he had came home and told me about this advertisement, $200 and we'll make you a billion dollars and the, the whole gamut of the, the advertisements that make you come and they make you want to learn. And so I showed up and of course they had the next sale of get to the next level. And I am the best person to sell to because I will buy it all. (laughs) So thankfully I went on and learned and got my education and it's right up my alley because I have had so many years of construction knowledge and working in the home building industry before that. Uh, And it ended up just being something that I love doing and it worked out really well because I'm able to still be at home with my daughter for most part, uh, and especially now being divorced, uh, being on my own, you know, it allows me so much flexibility to do what I need when I need to do it.
1: So then how did you get started? Did you start flipping right away? Did you partner with somebody?
0: So actually, I started flipping in Ohio because at the time, my husband was from Ohio and I was building inroads to Ohio. Um, so I had started, and that was also a smaller, a much smaller market. Now I have flipped some homes, my own personal homes, in the past, where you purchase your home, you do some renovations, and you sell it off. And then, of course, I've also had some rental homes, so I've had experience doing that part of it. So now it's very different coming from a new country because I was Canadian and doing it in Canada. So there's a lot of different things to learn, but. In that capacity, I started uh, in a smaller market with less risk, and then I moved to the Bay Area because that was my plan originally. And I have friends, and I'd started building network, and I met my mentor who lives up in the Bay Area, and so we just managed to build a you know a network. He helped me out; uh, he really held my hand through a lot of it, and I'm really thankful to have a mentor to take me through every step of the way and any questions that I had, I had somebody that had my back and I knew he wasn't in it for monetary or, you know, he wasn't in it to, for some higher purpose other than he loved teaching, he loved mentorship, and I was a perfect student. So I built an inroad to Silicon Valley, the Bay Area, and it just hasn't really worked out for me, even though I live in San Diego and it's mainly remote.
1: Yeah, it's amazing because you're the only person I know that is from out of the area investing into the Bay Area, whereas most people are from the Bay Area and they're trying to go out of state or out of the area.
0: Yes. Super unique story. Yes. So the reason why that really works for me, and ironically you would think it's a much bigger risk, but I looked at it the opposite way. I looked at it as a a much lower risk. Now in San Diego, of course, there's obviously homes to flip as well. I was competing initially with really big companies HGTV was filling two shows here, um, you know, and I was a small fish in this this bigger, more experienced pond. So, a lot of people kind of golf at the million dollar price range and how expensive it is in, in the Bay Area. But for me, that meant larger profit margin. That means a bigger buffer. So, if I messed up really, really bad, I had a much bigger buffer of not making money or making a smaller profit as opposed to being in a smaller market like San Diego where your profit margin fifty twenty thousand dollars 20000 And I'm sure as many new and experienced investors know, that goes really quick. So with one, you, know, you open, you start construction, all of a sudden there's mold or there's uh, flooring that you didn't anticipate. It's not in your budget. Of course, it, you always try to build a 10% contingency, but things happen. And all of a sudden now you are more in the red than you're in the black. So ironically for me, investing in Silicon Valley was actually a safer market.
1: Yeah. It's kind of like when you invest out of state, I invest in let's say Jacksonville and I have a refrigerator go out or water heater go out and that's a whole month's worth. But if that's anything happens here in the Bay area, who cares? That's like a quarter of a month.
0: That's exactly it. And that was my mentality going in to my projects because You know, we also had investments in Memphis and that was it. You know, you make 350 um, take home or uh, whatever a month. That accumulated even after five years, you have to renovate the place. Now all your cash flow is gone. So it's a different way of looking at how to invest in the real estate market. And my thought was, you know, I'm a a little bit on the older side. I didn't have a ton of time to to build. I want to accumulate cash quick. And I want to, you know, being divorced, um, you know, not having the support back home with family and so forth. I wanted to hit the ground running when it was just myself and my daughter. So it was a good way for me to start making money quickly.
1: Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that a big part of success was that you were able to partner with a mentor who helped you and kind of guided you through the process, especially while you're down there. And he's up there. Do you want to give a shout out to your mentor real quick?
0: Yes, absolutely. My mentor is John Piva. And I'm sure uh, many people have heard him speak at Silicon Valley, San Jose, Santa Clara. He's spoken at many of the events. He's an incredible man. And to this day, we are still good friends. You know, and I, anytime I have anything that I have a question about, I still call him. And now the great thing and wonderful thing is that I'm adding value. So sometimes we'll have discussions and he'll say, hey, that's a great idea. I never thought of that. So it's really nice to still have somebody that is the bigger fish in the, in the pond. And so you're always having someone to help you in some, some capacity, but now I'm also adding value to his business and to him as on a whole. So that's great. John Piva is a man. If you haven't met him, seek him out. He's amazing.
1: It's interesting because I think at least two other guests have said the same thing. And it's all been John Piva. Like out of everyone that has mentors, he's always the guy.
0: Yes. I think I haven't,
1: Elisa, I haven't met him personally yet.
0: Yeah, Alisa and maybe Adam.
1: That's right. Yes. Lisa and Adam Bobby. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't met him personally yet. I've seen him speak before, but, you know, I was too scared to talk to him. (laughs) And I should definitely reach out and have him come on the show in the future.
0: Yes, he would be an amazing speaker. He's phenomenal. He's just so down to earth, so genuine, so kind. Like, he just had always said to me when I met him six years ago, plus that, you know, I I don't want to have anything... You know, I don't want money back or I don't want you to pay me. I just love mentoring what he used to do as part of his job. Uh, and I love teaching students are willing to learn. And, you you know, you. He, and he's saying this to me, that I've been willing to take the risks and, and do and, and follow his lead, which obviously as a mentor, you get great reward just in that, seeing your students succeed. And it doesn't necessarily have to always be monetary, but he's like the most down-to-earth guy. I love that every time I see him, he's wearing the same, you know, jogging leisure suit, and he's just so casual. But he is the most amazing, down to earth person you'll meet. So I'm very thankful for him, for
1: mm-hmm. sure. How did you even approach him? If you're down in San Diego, how did you get connected with him, and why would he be willing to work with you in the first place?
0: So ironically, I um, again, it's it's bringing this whole world, you know, into a much smaller space and it's six degrees of separation. So when I lived in Calgary, Canada, I actually played volleyball with Dennis uh, and who owns Metis um, Realty now. And so he and I, he had moved to Silicon Valley to do tech stuff way before I did. Uh, And somehow we connected again, where I don't want to age us, but we, you know, at a time when we didn't have internet and social media. So we ended up connecting ourselves again and we got in touch and we were talking and um, he said, Hey, you know, the program you're taking, actually I know another guy, another investor who's doing that. I'd love to introduce you. So he introduced me to John and John and I hit it off. We just have, you know, really good um, mentor mentee relationship where, you know, he's open and I'm open. And so he just, and I I just really asked. I'm of the mindset that if you don't ask, I think it's also the Asian mentality, but if you don't ask, you never will know. The worst they can say is no. So thankfully he didn't say no. He said yes. What really kept it together is that every time we had a conversation, I was willing to take action. And so he didn't feel as though he was mentoring just somebody that was not going to you know do a flip or was ready to to move forward and so i think that's really what kept the momentum is because i was willing to take the risk and he was happy to help me
1: so i guess your educational program was worth it because not only did you get education but you got connected with a great mentor indirectly
0: right ironically uh the the program didn't connect us the mutual friend connected us it just happened we were in the same program and it just that we you know i mentioned the name and He's like, Hey, I know somebody. And so, yeah, it's definitely a small world and especially in our investing world, it is a small world. Everybody knows somebody you, you know, and I'm of the mindset that you want to be ethical. You want to be nice. You want to be kind. You want to help each other because we're really a small community of successful investors. And there's, there's a wide scope of people who have tried it, who have their foot in and haven't done, you know, got scared because they lost a little bit of money or, you know, never took the first step, but really the ones who are standing here today, like yourself and myself, it's a small community and we all tend to eventually get to know each other. So it's important to build those relationships.
1: Mm -hmm. We're all just a small group of friends.
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: So how are you running your systems from so far away?
0: So my phone is never further than a foot away from me. I'm always communicating via text, via phone, via mail and that's a great thing with technology nowadays. Like you know, you are in San Jose, I'm here, we're still able to have a conversation, we're still able to have the interview. Everything can be done remotely. So I have spreadsheets, I have uh, worksheets, I have a very detailed system, uh, you know, how I analyze properties, what to even a spreadsheet of finishes. So You know, depending on the areas, I'm going to pick this color because it's a more modern community or this color because it's move up neighborhood where the older people are. They kind of like, you know, the browns and stuff like that. Or maybe the Spanish homes are selling really fast. So it's all about having systems in place, being able to do everything efficiently, quickly, uh, you know, and building a good team. And as you and I have experienced lately, you know, there's a lots of bumps Uh, with building a good team and so it's just trial and error and that's really what has been a hurdle in my own business is meeting the good people that I can trust that are willing to take my lead um, you know and willing to really work hard and hustle for me as well
1: yeah that's so interesting I'm interested about your spreadsheet of finishes though so you're not here you're far away normally I have to go walk a property to kind of understand okay this thing should go here this thing should go there What are you doing to create that spreadsheet of finishes?
0: I have a little bit of a cheater experience because I was doing architecture and design and designing homes for million dollar clients for about 15 years. So I can literally have the ability to look at photos that an agent or uh, my project coordinator has walked and taken photos or videos of, and I can already outline the floor plan in my mind. And because I have Had so much experience down to picking grout colors. I already know, and I'm ahead of the trend, you know. And I always kind of chuckle at this because I started doing the grays for quite a time before even my mentor did. And he just laughed at me and he's like, nobody's going to love that. And then it took off. And, you know, a year later, he's like, hey, you were onto something. And so, what I attribute is obviously my background, my education that I had in school. My experience before I came an, a business owner, and so it give, gave me the edge to be able to look at pictures, um, you know. And I've brought lots of properties uh, sight unseen, so I have that little special edge that's been able to help me be successful on this back end. I, I don't think that's something I can teach everybody, or that somebody can learn. I think the biggest part is that you just have to do many homes. And, you know, let's, let's hope you're not wearing socks and sandals.
1: (laughs) I wear socks and sandals every day.
0: (laughs) Oh, man.
1: (laughs) Okay. I want to say one of my biggest challenges is that I don't have the eye. You know, like I don't have that interior design eye where I can say, hmm, I think this paint color would look great here or this vanity would look great here. I'm like learning as I go. And the worst thing is I was outsourcing a lot of that work to my contractors Because like they were like a basic okay these are kind of like what people are using in their houses go for it so I don't know the prices I don't know the types I don't know the colors and I relied on someone else and then you see the final product and you're like damn I wish I chose it because it could (laughs) have (laughs) been right
0: yes and so there is a lot of risk in allowing your contractor to make choices because their choices and typically on a ninety percent general. People's choices are based on what they like. And so that's not necessarily what it's going to sell because I've had clients that really love purple and their cabinets were purple and their wall was purple and we're not talking like a light purple. And I'm going to assume that when they were done with that home, it took forever to sell. So I think the biggest thing here for people to learn is that instead of thinking about your own style, you need to really get in tune with Things like Interior Design Magazine, Architectural Digest. Um, you know, on Instagram now, there's so many feeds with uh, home things, HGTV, and, and it's it's also part of the flipping business. You have to learn what's in style. You have to figure out what's going to sell, what people are liking, and not be so specific in all the details and, and paint it with a broader brushstroke because. Not everyone's going to like gray or modern or white or clean. Not everyone's going to like old school tradition. But you kind of have to research the area and see, you know, the homes that have sold in the last six months, which style has sold quickest. And then that'll give you a lead as to what type of people are buying in that market. And then you can go out and do some more research, right? Then you can type in words like modern farmhouse chic, or mid-century, you know, there's so many social media sites, Instagram, Pinterest, I mean, there's not a lack of, of finding information. And it's at spending five to 10 minutes, maybe before you go to bed, just, you know, scrolling through Instagram, home news feeds, right? And it may not be something that you like or would pick for your home. But I think what ends up happening with a lot of investors is they do pick finishes that they like. But ninety percent of the time, nobody else likes it. So, so you just have to look at what's popular, what you are seeing on your newsfeed more often in Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and then start veering towards that. You know, and and there is a lot of good furniture stores that you can look at that are usually on trend as, uh, as well. West Elm is a good one, as ve- and I I generally get inspiration from their site, but I, nece- I won't necessarily get. Buy their product because it's pricey. You want to keep your your price and your cost down. So you know Amazon has the same similar product for half of the product uh, half of the price. So it's good to get your inspiration from all these other popular, a uh, little more expensive furniture stores. Crate and Barrel's another good one where they're always on top of the trends, and then you kind of know what's going on and what people are moving towards.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess you can check out other MLS listings for their pictures and what they have in their homes. You can also look right. at Instagram or those magazines, and then you can create a spreadsheet. Maybe go on, I don't know, Home Depot or wherever you look at for your for your vanities or your your finishes, and just put them in your spreadsheet. Like I want this in my house. I want this in my house. Then send to your contractor. Say buy these things and then put them in.
0: Right, and that's exactly what I have. So I do a scope of work. I have an Excel spreadsheet. Nothing ro- of rocket science. You put the you know, cabinet countertop. We this color, ca- um, cabinets to be this color, and then you go through your entire home. And so I have finishes for everything, and I pick all of those finishes. So right at the beginning, my contractor has color choices for down to paint, down to tile, and then he just runs goes to get all the supplies and. You know, everything is supposed to be smooth.
1: Yeah, that's good. Because that way they're just working. They don't have to think like, hmm, what do I want to put in this thing?
0: Right, right. right. And then very often the contractor's not necessarily invested. So he'll be like, well, this orange countertop is way cheaper than that white one. Let's just do that. And, and then you go into your house and you're shocked that you have an orange countertop. <laughs> so it's always good to try and make those selections yourself because then you're also not ending up with a surprise of maybe needing to fix it, change it, or inhibiting your sale at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. And so, so real estate investing does take some work, but it's not that hard. It just takes some work.
0: Right, right. And I, and that's how I feel. And that's what I always say to uh, everybody that I coach and everybody that I talk to at the end of the day I was never a great student when I went to school. I got my degree and you know, I came from an Asian family, had two older brothers that were brilliant, and I struggled and I had to study a lot to get good grades. But investing's not necessarily about being the smartest. It's about doing a lot, putting in a lot of the work because a lot of it comes from experience. As you're, you're getting to know, I think once you get more experience in picking finishes, And what to say and how to negotiate your contract at the end of the day, um, your sale, your purchase, all of that comes from experience. There's no necessary handbook that says, here, read this book and memorize it. And at the end of the day, we'll have a test and then you're going to make $300,000. So it's all based on experience. And I think really, and I always laugh and say that hard work is more key than smarts because you can be the smartest person and have, you know, so many accolades, but you may not make the most best decisions in investing because you don't have the experience.
1: I kind of like to say that real estate investing, it truly is a business. I know they say that a lot, especially in like fortune builders classes. Oh, you own your own business. But no, this is an actual business. You need to go in there, keep people accountable, make sure you have your own uh, tasks and inventory like uh, planned out and really work it. You can't just oh, I'm going to work on this part-time and assume the best and make a bunch of money. No, it's an actual business. You need to work on it.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that is where people then, like yourself even, decide to take the leap is you've you've dipped your toe, you've had one or two flips, and you understand that you can't just do part-time. I mean, I mean, you could. You work your normal 40-hour job a week and then do this 40 hours a week. I mean, you'd have no life otherwise and you'd be burnt out. But you know, there's details miss, And as you know, there's many facets to investing and flipping a home. It's not just, okay, well, let's sign a contract. Thank you. I own a home. Here's my contractor. Here's, you know, change some, some stuff. I don't know. And you, so it's very detail oriented, right? So it all of that takes time. And it's definitely a business that you want to concentrate and focus on because, you know, one slip, may cost you $200,000, dollars So it's yeah. important to be on top of the details for sure and and be focused.
1: I mean, it's like you, there's no way anyone would ever think to create like a Facebook or LinkedIn kind of right. on the side and half-ass it. No. Right.
0: <laughs> Although, was Facebook created half?
1: No, <laughs> no. Nah, nah. These guys, they quit school, okay? They dropped out of Harvard.
0: That's right.
1: It's <laughs> just a movie. They make this same for party all day. <laughs> right. So you're all the way in San Diego. How are you even getting leads up here?
0: So I network um, like a demon and I talk to people, I call people, I um, see when I'm up that way. Uh, Essentially, most of my leads come from previous contacts and other investors, uh, agents that I'm working with, uh, MLS. So basically calling, doing a lot of calling, talking to agents uh, and really being loyal to your agents. And that's what has built my credibility is that when i work with an agent they bring me a home they have the relisting and i will generally try to work with them until the very end uh and get them the sale you know and make sure that i close on time make sure that i have my paperwork on time so it's not just them showing you because you're the big investor for them to bring you but you also need to show up for them so it's it's a team collaborative even though they're technically on their own team and you're on your own team. I mean, without them, you don't have business as well. So everybody's got to work together and be a, a well oiled machine.
1: So when I try calling agents, they say, hey, you're like the 10th guy that's called me today. Why would they want to work with you? And let's assume that you're just starting out because I'm sure now, okay, I have this big portfolio. How well, about before? They don't know who you are. You're from San Diego.
0: Right. So basically, um, my, again, my mentor, was gracious enough to give me um, some of his credibility. So he helped me with some of the agents initially. And so um, he introduced me to some agents and he would say, well, this, you know, she's, this is her background and so forth. And really the catalyst that gave me my own credibility was I did one really big project where I tore down a single story and built a two story. So once you have some sort of credibility, You can show that you can perform. You can show that you know what you're doing. Agents will stand up and listen. So you don't necessarily have have to have a ton of experience, but you really have to be tenacious. You gotta call them all the time. You gotta be in front of the agents all the time and and be hungry and show them loyalty and show them that, you know, I'm not just gonna be here for one year. I'm gonna be here for a long time. And for myself, I don't do a high volume. Um, and I really love not doing a high volume because I really love the work balance thing um, again. And so I make, you know, enough for my daughter and I, and then I have so much time to spend with her. I pick her up from school. I drop her off. You know, we I'm able to do volunteer work at her school. So I have a great work balance that I really love that for so many years in my 30s, I was chasing because... In your 30s, you become ambitious and you're, I got to get my career in life in in place. I got to get the family and two and a half kids and a white picket fence, you know, so you're very ambitious and you're just work oriented. Now that I've entered my 40s, I've really sort of sat back a little bit and said, you know what, this life that we have is really short. My money, if I were to be hit by a bus tomorrow, I can't take it with me. I can certainly set up my daughter. But at the end of the day, chasing that dollar and working forty, you know, twelve hours a day, and not spending time with the people that you love really is at the core of my heart right now. Is like spending time with them and having time and having that flexibility. So, um, I think just showing up, having integrity with your agents, with your wholesalers, keeping in touch with everybody, just you know, being able to take that first risk. And do something big and show everybody that you can do it. I mean, at that point, sky's the limit.
1: Mm -hmm. So how often are you following up with these agents that you're meeting?
0: Um, So I now have a handful of agents that I, they, you know, I don't necessarily need to follow up with any them anymore. They will call when they have something or they'll send me something. Uh, But initially you, I would say, you know, once a week, even just an email, a simple five minute email to say, Hey, I'm still here. What do you have? I'd love to be able to meet you. Um, you know, and going to meet people for coffee is a good thing. You know, what I'm finding a lot, um, and also challenging is that still in this day and age, people want to see you, they want to meet you, they want to touch you, they want to shake your hand. So I'm at a disadvantage there because I can't just go meet them at the corner Starbucks in Will Glen. Um, so very often, you know, when I go up that way, I'll make a point to meet some of them, go for coffee, go have a drink with them, you know, so you're still doing that interaction thing and being in touch. And, and people like that still, that human factor of, hey, I know what Sean looks like. I know, you know, he's kind of funny. He's kind of quirky, you know, those things. And they and that's sort of how you build the connections is that you it's not just a surface level, then you start knowing about their family, or you start knowing about what's going on in their life. So you build that connection otherwise, and that people tend to hold tighter to that bond than Sean or Sheila, who just sent me an email, and I don't know anything about them.
1: Hmm. Yeah, good point. So this might be kind of a scarcity mindset kind of thing. But why would John share his agent connections with you? Because if they have an off-market deal, shouldn't John want to see that first?
0: Yes, yeah, and absolutely. And John likely does see them first. Uh, but I also have other, I also have other agents. Uh, and sometimes, you know, if we share the same agent, John's maybe has at his capacity. So he passes it on to me or vice versa, right? It's not something up my alley. Um, and now, I and I think that is the, Kind of community that you want. You want to build a community where there's not a scarcity mentality that everybody's here to share. And, you know, there, there is a certain, I think, an unspoken thing where if it's his agent he, and they bring it to him, he's certainly going to get the first dibs, but maybe he's full. Maybe he's to capacity. He'll pass it over. Here's a great deal. I can't do it right now. I'm whatever the case is and vice versa, right? If I am at capacity, I'm going to share a lead to someone else that I know for sure that is going to f- close and is going to show up for this agent so that you're all building credibility together at the end of the day.
1: So what is your current buying criteria?
0: So I don't have a buying criteria per se. I don't, um, essentially agents will send me the deal. They'll send me the house. Um, generally they'll send a couple of comps, but I run a desktop analysis and if there's enough money and spread in the, the project um, I'll take it so that often varies ideally in a big rehab you want to have my sort of bottom line is six figures and then from there it depends if you're just doing um, a simple paint you're coming in cleaning it doing a paint job you know if I make 30 grand in one month hey that's great if I'm making uh, 60 grand in two months and it's requires a little bit more, you know, then the the ratio goes up. So I think how I analyze my deals is based on the risk, how long it'll take, the longer it takes a bit, the more I want to make, because then you're having more costs. You're, you're also a lot more risk because you don't know if the market's going to shift. If it's a quick, dirty deal that can be done with, you know, one week of painting, bring a painter in and you put it back on the market and you make $30,000. Like you, I, I can't, I'm not going to pass that up as well. So there's no set criteria. I think it just depends on the house. It depends on the project depends on the agent. Um, you know, all those factors.
1: So, I mean, it seems kind of broad because imagine giving a $5 million project, but yeah, you can make 30 grand in one month. You probably wouldn't take that one because it's too much money right. at risk for 30 grand. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how to ask this question, but is there kind of like a more defined criteria that you look for?
0: Right. So that's a good point because obviously at $5 million price point, the, the, so the more expensive the project is, the higher the profit you want to make. So if you're in a $300,000, price range, 400000 sorry, price range, thirty forty thousand dollars 40000 should be a good margin in one month. So I typically gauge it on the purchase price. So obviously if it's a million dollar home, a $2 million home, plus you want to make at least six figures. Um, So you want to have your profit in line with how much the house actually costs.
1: And do you have any particular cities that you like working in or some cities that you like to stay away from?
0: Um, There aren't necessarily any um, areas I stay away from. I do tend not to go into San Francisco just because... There's a lot of codes. There's a lot of regulations. Um, there's a lot of red tape in San Francisco. So, and I myself just don't have experience with all the red tape. Um, what I really am finding that I'm loving is, is um, I've done a couple of four or five bedroom units. Five, they're sort of condos, I guess. And I've really have found a, a solution on how to get some tenants out, how to turn those over, how to get them with a decent contractor to turn over quickly and then get tenancy in at a much higher rate. Uh, and generally I, I know a lot of investors don't like Section 8 tenants, but I feel like the modern day Robin Hood when I work with Section 8 tenants cuz you know they're low income people that are never going to be able to afford new or brand new or even you know a couple years new. And so to be able to to renovate something I mean, they go in and they love it. Hands down, they love it and they will take care of your place because the caveat here is that if they don't take care of your place, their voucher gets taken away. And as we all know, it's ridiculously expensive to rent or buy in the Bay Area. And I mean, these people, unfortunately, and I don't view it as people who have less money than yourself and I or anybody else that they're worse they're just people who have had a worse break in their life. Um, you know, maybe they were veterans that fought for the U.S. and now came back and are injured, and they, you know, they, they're on disability and they don't have the means to make money otherwise. So, to me, that you know, I I love being able to help people like that because it's not as if they dare, they're not trying or they they didn't do something or they're lazy. You know that that whole stigma of you know homeless people or people who don't have money or lazy. It's just that maybe they didn't, you know, mental illness or their physical disabilities or things like that. Um, and so they're very thankful that they're able to rent your units and they want to keep housing. They they need to have a place to stay. And Section Eight really has a good program where if they're not taking care of the home. Or they're missing their payments then they get taken off the system and that you mean is a big deal so you get paid from Section 8 every single month on the first you know your tenants want to keep the home clean and so forth so I kind of like that that system and I would love to be able to do more and just feel like I'm also helping the community because I know a lot of the mindset with investors is let's just make as much money as I can and I, you know, buy all the Lamborghinis and all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, for me myself, i like to be able to have some uh, element of helping other people in this whole scheme of my career and my, my business. And, and I don't necessarily believe that we are coming in and beautifying the neighborhood. We are definitely adding value, but I don't feel as though, to myself that's like a added value extra added value to my values
1: so are you doing buy and hold in the bay area as well
0: i don't buy and hold so i just buy and flip so i'll take i'll buy those units i'll have them renovated put all the tenants in and then sell it at you know make it a seven six seven eight percent cap rate and sell it to other investors
1: yep got it yeah but yeah i understand what you're saying because when you just flip a home it's kind of like stock trading where you buy low, sell high. You didn't really add value per se, even though you made money. Right. You know, so you don't really feel like good about yourself. It's not like I cured cancer. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm making a bunch of money, <laughs> but I cured cancer. <laughs> right. No, I'm making a house pretty. I'm selling this house. I bought cheap from someone who kind of had to sell to someone who has money. Yeah, You know.
0: Right. Yes, precisely. And, it, you know, you very often we're buying from people and we are helping them if they're in a distressful situation, but you know, sometimes it feels not great because they're getting a divorce. So they're in a situation where they have to sell. Maybe they don't want to sell things like that. So for myself and my own integrity and my own values, it's nice to be able to do these units and, and help people and bring that other side of it to my business. And like you said, you know, bring, bring actual value to the community, whether I live there or not, it's still where my business is. And I still like helping the community in general people.
1: Yep. Totally buy into that. So you talked about how you look for, I guess, teams, contractors from afar. What is your process for working with people from far away or even vetting teams?
0: So I do end up flying to the Bay area when I do need to find contractors and I generally will have one or two days where I have five or six contractors lined up and they come and they'll bid on the home and I'll meet them and there's not really, um, obviously price is one of the indications. Um, What I do is I also ask them to provide photos or I go and tour any jobs that they're currently working on so I can see their craftsmanship. Uh, And you know the general things is check their contractor's license Um, I generally like to work with licensed contractors because I do work remotely. I'm not able to be there on site every day. So it gives me a little added extra security because, you know, they are linked to contractor site license board. People with licenses generally have more pride of ownership. You know, they're, they're willing to Go above and beyond and not need to be spoon-fed and handheld the whole entire process. So I will come up and I'll meet all my contractors in that sense when I'm working with them on a first-time basis. Um, and then it really is, you know, intuition as well. Do you like this guy? Does he, uh, or girl for that matter, does do they know what they're talking about? Do you get a good feeling from them? Are they pointing out things that maybe you're not seeing during your walkthrough, you know, things like that um, that are important when choosing a contractor for sure.
1: And do you find them on like Yelp and Thumbtack or how are you finding your contractors?
0: Yes. So generally Yelp, Thumbtack, uh, Angie's list is a good one as well. Um, And I generally have used a lot of my contacts, like my stager and, and I am of the mindset that I'm happy to share um, all my contacts at the end of the day because if we can all make money together whether I'm using this contractor or you're using that stager then let's do it because there is more than enough money for all of us every single investor to be millionaires you know hand 10 times over so i'm not necessarily of the mindset that i need to hide and you know my people are my people if i'm able to keep them busy Uh, And on a consistent basis, then, you know, obviously, you might not want to share because then it distracts your your contractor. But for myself, I don't do a high volume, um, you know, and then also collectively, we're able to then to maybe get better pricing from the contractor, maybe get better pricing from the stager. We're all collectively keeping them busy throughout the year. So, you know, I, on a a regular basis, maybe do three or four homes a year. So it's hard for me to keep one contractor busy, you know, all year long maybe because sometimes I have gaps in my projects or um, truth be told in December, I love Christmas. That's my favorite holiday. And, you know, my daughter and I bake 500 cookies and on Christmas day, we deliver them to the police station, to the fire station, to the mailman, you know, to all the service people that do stuff for us on Christmas day that, you know, we're all enjoying, they still have to work. So it's a tradition I've had with my daughter and, you know, December I shut down. So I'm able to have that flexibility if I'm also able to keep my contractor busy, you know, with Sean's projects, like, Hey, Sean has a house and I'm taking December off. Can you help him out? Let's all continue making money and being happy. Right.
1: Yep. That's right. By the way, Christmas is my favorite holiday too. It's my birthday.
0: Oh, <laughs> right! Even better now.
1: <laughs> I never had to work it on my birthday ever in my life. It's great.
0: But did you get ripped out of presents because you were a Christmas baby? Did, did your parents ever be like? Ah. Uh, <laughs> the <Christmas."> short
1: answer. <laughs> the short answer is yes. But the long answer is no one forgets my birthday, so I always get a present. <laughs> right. See?
0: I like that. Like there the you flip go. side, right?
1: the flip side (laughs) so you've been working on this full-time for six years or so now if you can go back in time and kind of start over let's say 10 years ago or even 20 years ago what would you tell yourself
0: 10 years ago I think I would tell myself right now to go with the flow a little bit more than I have so because I am a detail-oriented person I'm very meticulous And so it's been hard for me to veer off the system. So I will give, I will have all my systems set in place, my spreadsheet set in place. Um, And sometimes things, as we know, not sometimes, all the time, things go awry in construction, in all parts of construction, negotiating the deals on the front and the back end. So I think the advice I give myself is relax, just go with the flow and it'll all work out in the end and keep Mm -hmm. learning from that because I think a lot of my rigidity with contractors with, you know, if I went over the 10% contingency, I'd be really hyper conscious about that. You know, like, Oh my gosh, I'm I'm going over budget. This is crazy. What can I do to, to cut and where can I cut corners or where can I cut this budget or how am I going to, so I would stress out a lot in my, the beginning process of, being over budget or not on time or, you know, things like that, um, that didn't just go always as smoothly as HGTV presents it. So my advice is, you know, go with the flow, make sure you have a good mentor in place for all the bumps in the road, because there's going to be a lot and just trust that with your experience and with your mentor's experience or whomever you have on your team that you're going to make it.
1: Well said. So what's next for you?
0: Um, I am venturing into coaching. So I started um, as my mentor, John Piva had said to me, when you're ready to coach, uh, all I ask is that you pass the pass it forward. Uh, so I have been coaching already for about three years and I've coached um, many people. Uh, and I actually had, before Bobby and, and Adam became really, really famous and awesome, uh, Adam helped me on one of my first projects and got his feet wet. So um, I, and again, for me, I I love that part. I'm a, you know, anagram type two. I love to help people. That's my thing. Um, and as you, my close friends will attest, like I, I always just kind of bend over backwards for people because I love, I love helping people. I just think that in this world of, so much not good things that you know we should try and be kind to each other and and lift each other up as opposed to like step on everybody along the way so i am trying to move towards coaching and being mentorship full-time because i love being able to inspire people i love being able to see that spark in people's eyes and and, you know all of this was really born of mentoring people in real estate Um, you know john was busy so he he'd tell all the people that approached him at any of his conferences that he spoke at say, you know, I have a really good mentee. I've been coaching her for three, four, five, six years. She may have some time. Here's her number, contact information. And so I started coaching people in that in that respect, and just even flying back up to San Jose all the time. I talk to people on the plane. I'm very chatty, and just uh, myself. I'm you know in the best shape of my life now. I start I CrossFit four times a week. I eat very healthy, you know, I can deadlift twice my weight, things like that. So even just helping other people delve in their nutrition or, you know, give them one tip today, if you just stop eating sugar or doing this, like the one thing that helps them improve their health um, or, you know, anything of that nature. Just really, I love seeing that spark in people's eyes of, thank you, you've inspired me, I'm going to go take that information and do better, get healthy, you know, get better at my job, get better at my relationships, or do better for my children. And it's not to say I have all the answers for everything, which I certainly do not. But I just love being able to share the info that I do have. And, you know, I find in collectively, if you're able to meet other people who, you know, you're then you're not inventing the wheel yourself, right? Because Parenting has been done before, investing has been done before, weightlifting has been done before, eating healthy, you know, so it's a shortcut, right? Then now you've expedited your process to get a better result. And why not share that? Why not all be able to be as healthy as we can, as strong as we can, the best investors, the best parents, right? Collectively, you know, maybe this is my Canadian socialism background, but just, being a community all together on a whole, no matter where you are, where you work, where you're being, to me, is really what life is about.
1: And how can people get a hold of you if they want to reach out to you for coaching, whether for real estate investing or for even just being a better wholesome person? What's the best way to contact you?
0: <laughs> well, while you say wholesome, I still have vices. <laughs> so you can reach me at Sheila at M&S Homes, ca.com. My Instagram is Sheila N Wong, Facebook is Sheila Wong, uh, and my phone number six one nine eight eight eight
1: five zero zero eight. All right, cool. Are there any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our guests before we end the show today?
0: I think my final thought would be, and I I know it's a very cliche saying, but it's a marathon, not a sprint. So you just have to put in the work. You have to get to know your information. Get to Find a good mentor that can hold your hand through the process, through all the bumps. Uh, And there's going to be a lot of mistakes. There's going to be a lot of things and issues that you're going to come across. But in the long run, just get yourself a really good team that will help you through it and just do it. There's no better way than to just do it and get your hands dirty and your, your feet in the water and keep at it. I mean, nobody gets rich overnight. So one step at a time.
1: Very well said. Very well said. One step at a time. Well, Sheila, thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to actually meeting you in person next time I go down to San Diego.
0: Yes. Thank you, Sean, for having me. This has been so much fun. And absolutely, you'll have to let me know when you're here. I can make you lunch and we can play in the pool with my daughter.
1: (laughs) Sounds like fun. All right. Take care. Thanks, Sean. Here are some of the key takeaways I got from speaking to Sheila. If you want to be successful, find a mentor who is genuinely interested in your success. Network as much as you can, and leverage their connections. Follow up with anyone you meet by sending them a text or an email on a regular basis. When you flip a home, make sure you know your numbers and have a spreadsheet with all the finishes that you want so that you don't end up with a final product that looks subpar. Remember, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You can find the show notes and the full transcription on everythingrei.com. Hope y'all learned a lot. Thanks, and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N-R-E-A-L-T-Y at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great day.